You are listening to the 100th episode of the NASA in Silicon Valley podcast. And by a fortuitous aligning of the sun and earth, today, July 20th, is also the anniversary of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landing on the moon. In fact, if you listen to this podcast at roughly 8 p.m. Pacific time, you're right at the anniversary of the famous, that's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. As our 100th episode, our special guests are NASA Ames Center Director, Dr. Eugene Tu, and Deputy Center Director, Carol Carroll. We talk about their early days here at Ames and go into detail about NASA's unique research center here in the heart of Silicon Valley. As a housekeeping note for the podcast, we're going to go on a bit of a hiatus for the next few weeks. Now, don't worry, we're not going away, but we're working on some fun new content. And we're not going to have any new episodes for the next few weeks as we get things in order, but keep an ear out on this very RSS feed towards the end of the summer, and you'll get to listen to what we're cooking up. So without further delay, here is Dr. Eugene Tu and Carol Carroll. I always like to start it off with, how did you join NASA? How did you get to Silicon Valley? Now, Eugene, I think, though, you're from the area, right? Correct. But Carol, I, you didn't grow up around here, though, right? No, or, I grew up in New Jersey. In New Jersey? Yes. So we're, so we're going to start off with Carol. Yeah, okay. that's a more Carol. interesting story. I can tell already. <laughs> <laughs> so Carol, tell us, like, how did you join NASA? How did you get to Silicon Valley? From New Jersey, that's quite a flight. Yes. Well, I um, I was actually out here before NASA, so the story okay. starts before NASA. So I came out to Silicon Valley after college. Uh, I got hired on with Westinghouse, which is now north of Grumman in Sunnyvale, and I was only supposed to be out here three months. So I was on a graduate rotation program. The weather was too good. It was too good. <laughs> after three months, I was like, I hadn't even been skiing yet. You nice. know, I'd been to wine tasting in the beach in San Francisco, but hadn't even been here for a winter. Oh, wow. So after three months, they asked me to actually commit. Are you going to stay here in Sunnyvale or are you going to go for your next rotation, which would have been Connecticut or Florida? Mm-hmm. And I, I said, I can't I can't leave. There's just too much to do. I loved it out here. So I ended up staying and mm-hmm. I worked at Westinghouse for a few years. And then I worked at another small company called Acurex. And then I ended up going back to Westinghouse and uh-huh. worked on an interesting program where somebody had the brilliant idea to put peacekeeper missiles in railroad cars and it was a fascinating engineering program and i'm glad it never got built but (laughs) starting off with peacekeeper peacekeeper nuclear missiles (laughs) on railroad railroad cars yeah so um it was a great engineering program but um i was happy when it was canceled and but then i was looking for my next job And uh, so I got called from a former boss, my very first boss when I was out of college. Oh, wow. By this point was over here at Ames, uh, managing one of the on-site contracts, which was Boeing at the time, Boeing Aerospace Operations. So I came over and worked in safety in the wind tunnels. And I thought, hey, I'm an engineer. Safety's a good thing to learn. And uh, uh, that's what I ca- that's how I came to Ames. No, and I know that you've bounced around NASA because I mean, when I first arrived, you were doing mission support, like human capital stuff. I mean, you're trained as an engineer, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Yes. So, so uh, yeah. I went to college at Virginia Tech. I'm a mechanical engineer, 
And uh, so, yeah, I'm an engineer, systems engineer, project manager. So going over to human capital was a very big stretch for me. It seems like the overall the point is just like get things done. Do you know how to get things done? (laughs) I became passionate about the people. So I really, really enjoyed working in human capital and, and trying to figure out how we could do things for our people here at Ames. And so that's why I went and did that. So but before, because I'm going to totally drill down into that stuff because I find it completely fascinating. But when you first got here, did you already know Eugene? Did you, no. When did you guys meet? No. Hmm. I think I first heard of Eugene after I became a civil servant. Okay. Um, so I was a contractor for about three years, and then I became a civil servant, and that's an interesting story. But um, I think I became aware of, of Eugene um, after I'd been here in the probably late 90s, uh, when you were doing CICT. Yep, project management. Project management. Yep. At that time, I was in entry systems, and you were doing CICT, and that's when I first heard the name, Eugene. What's too. CICT? Just for, just, it was, is it uh, engineering? Computing, is it information, and communications technologies. So it was, it was an right. IT program. Uh, it was the outgrowth of what was two programs before. Uh, one was called the Information Technology Base Program, and the other one was a High Performance Computing Communications Program, or HPCC. Oh, wow. And so those two programs got merged right around the time Carol was mentioning and became CICT. Oh, cool. So did you guys work together at any point in time? Or is it I don't not think our careers now? ever crossed. Right. I think, I that's think right. they've. I think they've run parallel. <laughs> I've, nice. I, you know. Yeah. I don't think they've yeah. ever crossed. Well, I remember when I first arrived. One of the first press events that we did. The protocol person was like, "Matt, your job is like, and I need to get Eugene from this press interview over to the Roverscape." I was the new person. No clue where anything was. I I was watching. I was I was kind of like listening in on the interview. You probably don't even remember this. I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but then like I got pulled over, had to go talk to somebody else who was like trying to get their camera set up, and I came back and you were gone, and I had this panic of like. I lost the center director. <laughs> and I'm like, I got him. I hopped in my car, started driving around, and then it kind of dawned on me. I was like, I think Eugene was like an intern at Ames. He's like probably more familiar with this place than I am. And I think you just walked. You just walked on over. I knew where the Roverscape was. And I was, yeah. I, I was freaking out. I was like texting Carolina. I'm like, where is he? I can't find him. She's like, oh, no, he's already here. So tell us about that. Growing up in the area, internship, I'm guessing, or was it straight right. out of school? or how? Uh, No, internship. So I, I came to the Bay Area. Family moved here when I was about seven. Okay. Um, and uh, my father uh, at the time took a job at UC Berkeley. And so we, we basically moved to Berkeley. Um, and I was in grade school at the time, probably third grade. Basically grew up in Berkeley from that point forward, went to Berkeley High School. I always knew early on yeah. I wanted to do something in engineering, but wasn't sure what. Uh, aerospace always uh, attracted me. Aviation, airplanes. I loved airplanes. And so... Um, Are you a mechanical engineer the same as Carol? Yes. So my undergrad was that. in mechanical engineering, but it, it didn't start out that way. I was actually okay. originally going to be going to the University of Washington and do aerospace engineering up there. And um, at the very last moment, I think I had already secured a dorm, I had already maybe even picked classes for my freshman year. And at the time, I decided, well, maybe I want to stay closer to home for a little while. Uh, Because (laughs) I realized at University of Washington, you actually did not go formally into the aerospace engineering program until your third year. And so your first two years was just general engineering. And so I had an opportunity to go to Berkeley at the time. And I said, okay, it'll be a little bit cheaper. It'll be closer to home. I'll do that for two years. And then if I'm still interested, I'll transfer up north, Mm. uh, which, of course, I never did. Uh, (laughs) So I, I went 
went to Berkeley, uh, mechanical engineering. Uh, I actually started out as an undergraduate in letters and science, undeclared. And then after my first year, I declared for engineering, went into uh, mechanical engineering. And then um, the fall of my second year, I was introduced by a family friend of mine who was a professor at uh, Arizona State University, and he had worked with some people here at Ames. And in particular, there was a new group starting up here at Ames in the area of computational fluid dynamics, which was still in its early stages of development and research at the time. And so he knew of my interest in engineering. He introduced me to some of the researchers down here. So I came down. I spent a few months volunteering down here, uh, just uh, as part of the uh, Ames Associate Program. And, and, and you were still in college down. at I was the still, time. still in college at the time, oh, wow. and just came down maybe once a week, twice a week, um, you know, in those days where I didn't have a heavy course load. I know there's like an intern photo floating around somewhere. Yeah. I've seen the picture with a young Eugene. <laughs> I'm going to try to get that as the album art Uh-oh. for this episode. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, so I was... Volunteered for uh, for a little while, and then the opportunity came up. They uh, they had the co-op program, which is now very similar to our Pathways program, yeah. where if you're an intern in school, you can, or you're in school, you can become an intern. You can get paid a little bit, and also uh, the school uh, supports that program. And so so I applied to it and got into that program, and so basically started here as an intern uh, here at Ames. Wow. So uh, I wish I yeah. had known about that program. <laughs> I know, right? Well, we did a whole podcast episode a while back with one of our uh, the head of recruitment for us about yeah, how to a get great, a job. It's a great right? program. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, and that kind of dips into some of the human capital stuff. So, so Carol, I mean, you know, and for both actually both of you guys is like mechanical engineers. Your careers are kind of going around and parallel. I guess like the common thread is just trying to figure out how to get things done, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, computational fluid dynamics mm-hmm. or something you're working on, Carol, but even that falls into the human capital stuff and people, the most complicated of puzzles. Exactly. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And the most important, right? Everything we do, everything we do comes down to the people. So um, I've worked in projects all over the center. I've worked in a lot of the fields here at Ames, from entry systems to Sophia to wind tunnels. And it all comes down to the people. And so I got passionate. I I worked um, on the headquarters business services assessment for human capital. And they asked me to lead that. And I said, I think you have the wrong person because (laughs) I don't know anything about human capital other than I've been a supervisor and I've hired people. But... Other than that, I don't know any rules and yeah. regulations. And they said, that's exactly what we want. We want a customer, somebody that, that, that will understand the importance of the workforce. So I did that for headquarters. And we went out and benchmarked all other kinds of companies, Google and um, yeah. Mozilla and other federal agencies. And I started to learn what some of our flexibilities were. And I got really excited about bringing them back to Ames and increasing how many hires we could do in a year and uh, restarting some programs. Eugene wanted to start the full-time graduate study program where mm-hmm. we actually will will pay your tuition and your salary to finish your master's or finish your PhD for one year full term. You know, that's a great benefit. Yeah, we're, we're working on the student loan repayment program. So anyway, I got passionate about the people <laughs> and um, the, the human capital group is great. They didn't need another human capital expert, Yeah. right? They, they they just needed they needed a leader and somebody to help them you know figure out how to how to navigate the waters and make sure we're doing all we can for all our employees. Yeah, was that some of the first things that you guys worked on together? Or? Well, it yeah. was, and I just wanted to add the the especially the graduate student fellowship program. Yeah. I mean, I was a personally a beneficiary of that. Nice. Right? After I uh, 
after I had uh, um, been hired on full-time when I graduated. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, uh, it was a choice at that point for me between going to, on to graduate school or taking the job or position here at Ames. And one of the reasons I chose to take the position here at Ames was because I didn't even, I didn't really have to choose. The, yeah. Ames offered me, when they hired me, they said, we'll put you in the graduate program here and we will pay uh, for you to get your PhD. And so that's essentially what happened. School, school paid for and a, yeah, exactly. I mean, is there a better deal? Yeah. I know, school paid for and you have a job. Yes. You had a job. Now, yes. you know, you still had to work and go to school. You, you're, mm -hmm. you're, you had to do both. But uh, since I was in a research field, basically the research I was doing as part of my job would count towards my dissertation work uh, nice. at school. So it really, it really came out really well. And you get to really brag well. at Berkeley. And, yeah, I kind of work at NASA. I mean, yeah. whatever. Well, at that point, <laughs> At that point, since it was closer by and more, and they had an aerospace engineering department, I ended up doing graduate work at Stanford, oh. which of course is a rival of Berkeley. Yeah, and so I think I've heard of it before. No, I never yeah. switched. My sports allegiance, go Bears! My sports allegiance is still Cal, but I actually spent more time at Stanford. I spent and ended really? up spending eight years there. It took a little longer to go through the master's and PhD program because I was working at the same time, but uh, I wouldn't trade that. The the benefits of actually working while you're doing your graduate studies. And really understanding how your what you're learning in school applies yeah. to the real job world uh, was uh, was uh, something something I would not uh, <laughs> would not redo any differently. It's one thing it's one thing to sit through classes, write papers, or right. take tests. It's quite another thing to work in an office, yeah. right? And, and figure out. And you're in class. You're trying to figure out how this will apply to the real world. Well, uh -huh. there is applying it to the real world. Wow. And then just bringing it back to some of the things Carol just mentioned, I think these are some of the key things that uh, aims. Uh, NASA can draw people into wanting to take on a job here, um, and and one of our recruiting tools, if you will, as as well as one of our career development tools for for our folks. Um, yeah. And and that's one of the things we do. The NASA does invest in, and we're willing to invest in. Uh, sometimes we can't compete with the salaries, uh, just straight up salaries in the Silicon yeah. Valley area, but we can instead really uh, bring in the uh, the benefits of career development and 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 as Carol said, developing you know the workforce and the people, which are the most important asset. Well, and that, that also just reminds me of a thing that comes up frequently on, on the podcast is, you know, just how Ames has, you know, a whole bunch, like this array of core competencies has got, it's like a whole bunch of different things in research and it's kind of dabbles in little things. It's where those things cross section or cross cutting, I guess. It's just interesting nuggets where you'll have the engineer and then the scientist and then the you know, the aeronautics expert and like supercomputing expert. It's just the way that those people who I guess at some centers where they focus on just like on a smaller like part, they maybe would never interact. Right. But yeah, but, I think that's one of the benefits. I think that's one of the interesting things at Ames is that because we are a smaller center and we are a research center. Mm -hmm. Our engineers and scientists can get to know each other. Our technologists can get to know each other. I think we can come up with creative solutions because of that intersection, because our people can randomly run into each other, work with each other on project teams or yeah, happy hours or whatever. I think we can cross those bridges quicker than you can at larger centers where they might have a you know a thousand or three thousand exactly. engineers and I you're think in a completely different building on and the you might not side, ever see anybody see other. other than your fellow engineers I think I think that's a real benefit of Ames I would just add that I think it's it's also to me 
it's even more fundamental than that because I think some of the biggest challenges, uh, whether it be NASA mission challenges or just problems to be solved in the world, are going to be inherently multidisciplinary in the future. Yeah, absolutely. You see the universities going that way as well. While they have their traditional engineering departments and their biology departments and so forth, it's those inter- multidisciplinary fields and departments that really are, are gaining a lot of traction, whether they be in the bioengineering fields or whether they be in my, my wife got a degree in medical yeah. physics, which was, again, two different fields really? put together. Okay. And so it's really, I think, a lot of the things that we as a center with the diversity of the portfolio we have and the different disciplines we have, but as you say, the ability to try to link some of those together can really bring unique solutions. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's a funny thing, because I didn't know that she studied, it was a bio, biomedical? Or? Uh, medical physics. Medical physics. biophysics with a medical physics. See, and and, and yeah. for the folks who are listening, you're like, why is he so surprised? Because I, I know she's in the aeronautics yes. group right, right now. Right, right. She did her master's work in, in psychology and... Uh, well, that's also the cool, uh, the, one of the cool pluses is like that diversity of experience. So even if you studied one thing, you can hop around in different places. Yes. Again, Carol, I think when, when when I first met you, you were, I mean, I knew you were dabbling in some of the human capital stuff, but I think you were the, the deputy director for the science. Right. And so how's right. that as, a, as an engineer, but with all the scientists? Oh, that was fascinating. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Um, so for most of my career, I was doing engineering design work, systems engineering, project management. And then I went to headquarters and uh, I was working in the Office of Space Science, and I got hooked on the science that NASA does. And I realized I wanted to come back, and as an engineer, I wanted to figure out how to enable science. So I really got hooked on that. I came back. I was on the SOFIA program for for a few years, and then became the Deputy Director of Science, and then worked in the ISS office here at Ames to help enable and get biological science uh, really going on space station. It's just the science that we do is amazing, and engineering can enable that. I, this is a shout out to one of, the, one of our first episodes that we ever did was with Steve Smith, yes. our, our, our resident, our, our local <laughs> astronaut, our local astronaut. Yes. you know, kind of fixed, helped fix the Hubble Space yeah, Telescope. Sort of, you know, a couple times. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I remember the, one of the first meetings I sat through was him going through like a, a PowerPoint deck of like 50 something experiments that yes. Ames had involved that were all going on to the space station. Yes. It was just like completely just mind boggling. Yeah. So, okay, now you guys have been in a, you worked your way up, you're all rock stars, you know, the intern, then the stellar employees, and you put in, get put in management positions. I'm just curious, so like, if you were, you know, now as the center director and the deputy center director, if you were to go back and talk to yourself when you first arrived, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Hmm. Um, I, I think the advice I would give myself would be the same advice I give everyone, especially students, when I talk to them now. It's very kind uh, of you. <laughs> well, and it, it, it's, it's to really embrace the opportunities that come up, even if they aren't directly in your plan. You know, when I went through school and got a position here at NASA, uh, I always thought at that time that I would just be doing research my entire career. Um, and maybe even finish if if I ended up retiring from NASA uh, at some point I would uh, I would maybe go into teaching uh, so I always saw myself oh, nice. doing the academic research side of it never really thought of myself as doing doing management or or those type of things but it was the opportunities that came up that weren't within my 
quote master plan uh, that 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 I took advantage of and and changed the direction of of where I was headed in my career. And so so I think that's probably the biggest single advice I'd give is have a plan, but be willing yeah. to to deviate from it, to go in different directions and to broaden yourself because you never know what you might might be working on in the future or what teams you might be leading. And so the broader your experience base, the more you'd be able to be effective in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd add to that. I'd seek, you know, seek those opportunities. When I came to Ames, I was not a quality systems engineer. I was a design engineer, and and um, and I didn't know anything about wind tunnels. And so you'd think, well, why would you take that job? And it's like, well, I wanted to learn. So be open to new opportunities because you have no idea where they might lead you. The other thing is the networking and the people, right? Mm-hmm. So every job I've gotten, it's because I knew someone that I had previously worked with. And so, you know, the old saying, don't burn bridges, it's so true. (laughs) true. But not only that, but whatever job you're in, just do your best so that you you will leave it with a good reputation and a, as a reputation of, oh, that person gets things done, that person, you know, you've got a good reputation for that next opportunity because you never know where it'll come from. Well, and even just like you think of the, of the buckets or the things that Ames does, it's like some of that interdisciplinary cross-cutting things. There may be entire fields of research and things that nobody's even thought of yet that hasn't right. even started that synergy of getting together. It's like it's not just in your individual lanes. It's stuff that you haven't even thought of. Exactly. Well, we were just earlier today we, in a different meeting. We were just talking about astrobiology, a yeah. field that really didn't exist maybe more than 20 years ago. That Ames was one of the one of the entities in the forefront of, mm-hmm. and and it's a field that's inherently multidisciplinary. It could be planetary geology, Absolutely. chemistry, atmospheric sciences, many different areas. And for example, it's a field that didn't didn't really exist uh, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, I think like exoplanets falls into that same thing. I remember reading some stuff before before coming here, in you know how the early days it was almost I don't know like fringe or like people were very like suspicious or skeptical of whether or not some of the validations were really accurate until Bill Baruchy came through and then you know and then yeah, that, and then now Kepler, it's huge. Yeah. Yes, yep, yep. yes. Well, then I, I would be remiss, you know, us being you know. Ames Research Center of like talking a little bit about the center. We always kind of get to it and, um, you know, we'll talk about like supercomputing or stuff we're doing in aeronautics or aeroscience or even exoplanets. So um, it's not often that, you know, I I get my two bosses (laughs) sitting here. So it's like, so talk a little bit about like the center as a whole of sort of for folks who are you know, my mom, who's in Utah or in Ohio, uh, has no idea. She knows there's NASA. Kind of, like, how do you explain to people this is where Ames fits in within the larger scope of the agency? I'll let Eugene. All right, I'll start off. Well, I feel so, like you're well versed on your elevator pitch. I <laughs> yes. Guess. Well, as I've told many people, if you if you want to describe Ames Research Center in an elevator, you better be going up to a very tall building <laughs> nice. because of the diversity of the work we have. Again, it, it it's hard to cover in one one short uh, sentence. But really, what Ames is is fundamentally uh, a innovative research center that also looks to do development and operations in key areas in some ways much differently than has been sort of the traditional way. Yeah. Uh, so for example, our work in small space, uh, small satellites or small, small sats has been one of those areas. But Ames has had a long, rich history. It's uh, the second oldest center in the agency. It gonna was formed- Going to be 80 next year. Going to be 80 next year. Oh, wow. It was formed in 1939, almost 20 years before NASA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was part of the 
the original NACA, National Advisory Committee on Aeronautics. So, of course, our early roots were in aeronautics, aerothermodynamics. We this center did some of the very early uh, pioneering work in looking at uh, how to protect a spacecraft from entering an atmosphere, it, both in terms of its shape and the materials. Uh, through When we became part of NASA in the, in the late 50s, uh, we of course also got involved in science missions and space missions. Pioneer, Galileo, Viking were all missions that had yeah. strong ties to Ames. And then, remember back the, in those days, Silicon Valley didn't exist. Yeah, there wasn't it was much like out here other than orchards. orchards. Fields, but of course, yeah. we grew up with Silicon Valley over the last three or four decades. And so all the information sciences, information technology, supercomputing, quantum computing, AI, autonomy. And so if you really look at that history over 80 years, it's how we became such a diverse center in terms of the work we do here. Um, but really, I think fundamentally, we, we want to bring innovative solutions, technology, science, engineering solutions to some of NASA's most challenging missions. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> so we'll get well. Then thinking about like you know the, the broader the broader set of you know of NASA as well. I mean because there's other research centers. Yes. Uh, I mean Glenn and Cleveland, right. Langley. Um, do, do all I, I'm for folks who are listening who may not be sure. Mm-hmm. You know a lot of like how different centers work together, and especially at your guys' level. I mean your peers are the other center directors. So talk a little bit about how that is like working throughout the agency and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I think the four research centers all have their slightly different focus, right? Armstrong down in Southern California is the Flight Research Center. Mm-hmm. So they're out there and they do get to do all the really cool work to text, test X-planes. And, so. and what, I, what I recently learned when you, as a NASA employee, for the first time going to Armstrong, they actually have you do a training where you watch a video about rattlesnakes and turtles. And well, they all are in the middle of the desert. Because <laughs> you are in the middle of the <laughs> desert. Exactly. And I, I'd never felt a sonic boom before. And it feels a lot like an earthquake. Yeah. But yeah. yeah so yeah. And so Go. the research that you know NASA's doing is we're trying to lower that sonic boom, right? So mm-hmm. that we can enable um, transonic, you know, aircraft again. Um, and then Glenn Research mm-hmm. Center in Cleveland, and they've they're a research center also. So again, a very broad portfolio like Ames, with a focus on some things like power and propulsion. They're oh, wow. really known for their expertise in power and propulsion. And then Langley um, in in Virginia, and they they were the original. They're the first NASA center. They were they were the the mother center, and uh, very similar. In fact, Ames grew out of Langley. Langley, Langley yeah. was the first center. Ames was the second center. So the very first people that started Ames came from Langley, and um, and they do aeronautics work just like we do. We collaborate with them on a lot of things: uh, aeronautics work, um, entry systems work. Uh, they do um, Earth science, small missions for Earth science, and so uh, we work closely with them. We did an episode a couple of months back with Jack Boyd. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, so you heard all about the we history. We talked all about the, the early history and of that. I remember him like, kind of referring to it as like, you know, have this, this they had this aeronautics center at Langley, and then it's like, you know, around World War II. It'd yes. be really nice to have one a lot further away from <laughs> the, the one Germans. One on the West Coast. <laughs> and, exactly. And if, if I'm not mistaken, I think he often uses the term, it's the renegades from Langley that came yeah. out and formed Ames. <laughs> and we've kind of kept that culture and ever that, since. That's with the Bay Area. <laughs> that personality exists to this day. Yeah, well, that, well, yeah go ahead. Oh, I was just going to mention, if you also then think of the other NASA centers, that's where we now work much closely with them because they have some of the operational responsibilities. Absolutely. Uh, Human Space Flight Center. 
centers like JSC and KSC, uh, also Marshall Space Flight Center that does the rockets and the, the SLS right now. And so these are Stennis, which does the testing, rocket engine testing. And so these are centers that we also work very closely with. And of course, with JPL, Absolutely. the one FFRDC that NASA has uh, that does most of the planetary missions. And so really, it's, it's now, you know, at one point in time, I think it was viewed that there were 10 separate NASA centers and they were yeah. doing their own thing. I think with our focus now, whether it be in space exploration, whether it be in aeronautics, or whether it be in science missions, some of the biggest challenges that we want to tackle as an agency, it requires many of our centers to work much more closely together, and we're doing so. Yeah, in my head, it's like almost like you have the different personalities of different centers. And at least in my head, as I've always kind of imagined it, of like, you know, like uh, the way that research centers are set are set up. I just see Ames as kind of it's like it's the it's the scrappy in your in the garage doing the stuff that nobody's even thought of. Kind of like, you know, where where you get a hundredfold, you get these huge benefits. But it's stuff that I mean, look at small sites. You really don't need Northrop Grumman and Boeing to you know have a big contract to do like small like small sites. Satellites. I mean, it's a little bit smaller, but there's like a big bang for your buck, I guess, out of that. So, right, right. Well, and 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 you know, that's that's another way we like to describe ourselves. We, we as a center, we like we're innovative. Um, we've got that entrepreneurial type Very of attitude. So. We are trying to be out there. Um, sometimes we're too far out there, and Washington D.C. pulls us back <laughs> a little bit and reins us in. Uh, but uh, that that's part of the value uh, I think we bring to the to the agency. And then on top of that, underlying underlying almost everything we do is a whole notion of partnerships and and engaging with the commercial, with the industry, uh, with academic institutions, with other government institutions, and internationally, uh, because really we're seeing we're in a period of time now where in some ways I like to describe where we are for space exploration is similar to where we were for aeronautics maybe 100 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. It started out as a government funded entity. Uh, it became maybe one, uh, the government as one of the biggest contractors or users, but the commercial sector was coming up and now of course aviation is 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 much of it is privately funded and and that's that's the way we'll really expand space exploration is to be some combination of commercial and private funding uh, and the government uh, buying down the risks and doing sort of the longer term research and and risk reduction activities yeah and that fits in perfectly i mean for folks who may not know say we have you know, this was Moffett Field, uh, Federal Airfield. You have NASA sitting there, but we also have the, the NASA Research Park with a whole mix of companies, some big exactly. ones, small some ones, small. startups, uh, universities, academic, academic. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. yeah, tech companies. And so it's just like this really cool mix. And now like the U.S. Geological Survey. Yes, USGS yeah. is, is coming down here, and uh, their first phase, I think, should be next, next year. Uh, with about half of their staff uh, coming here. And then the plan is within, say, three years after that, uh, the entire Menlo Park Science Center will move down here. And, of course, a a lot of people probably recognize the opportunity for NASA and USGS to collaborate on Earth science. Mm -hmm. Um, But many folks might not realize that USGS did a lot of the early lunar geology research, too, even back in the pre-Apollo days. And so uh, we have a great opportunity to to, to renew our collaboration as as we're returning to the moon. Tap into that expertise. Yeah. Yeah, I think the catchphrase we always use is orbit to core. You know, from yes. the orbit all the way down to the core of the exactly. earth. And it's like, and there was, you know, there's just something special about going to the space bar and like running into colleagues and, you know, 
it just there's it something just special about having a space bar. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know. For folks who are not sure, you're missing out. That's right. <laughs> a little cafeteria that we have right next to where the hangar is. Exactly. Um, close around by. But like you know, before we wrap, is there anything that you guys really want to talk about, or we can talk about like, like future stuff or things that you're excited about? I don't know. We can kind of go wherever you want to. Well, food thought. No, I'm excited about the future. There are so many areas that we. Uh, it's important for us to play in because we really do bring solutions mm-hmm. to to missions and mission operations. And um, so those partnerships that Eugene was talking about are really important. You know, how can we not only bring the work, the research that Ames is doing, but the research that uh, Silicon Valley is doing to tap into these really hard problems that NASA is trying to solve. So whether it's the next missions, the the the, the exploration of the moon, the new lunar plans that are being developed you know we want to make sure that we're a a strong part of that and bringing our expertise both science and mission development to those uh, those new exciting uh, exploration plans so it's an exciting time for me looking to the future I think uh, really it's very exciting because we've got several key things I think we're on the cusp of really detecting life or Mm -hmm. past existence of life elsewhere for the first time. I think we are also on the cusp of extending human presence beyond low Earth orbit for longer periods of time, maybe even on a permanent basis. And then here on Earth, we of course are both understanding, having much greater understanding of of the Earth and its environment Mm -hmm. and its future, but also revolutionizing the way we use our airspace. Um, And and so if you think of all of those areas, all of those areas are areas that AIMS has the ability, capability, and plans to to make great contributions in. So that's it's going to be a very exciting time. You know, we've been doing this podcast. This is the hundredth episode. Woo-hoo. Um, Excellent. And, and it's like I can't think of any better way to you get the it's the complete. Um, all the stuff that Ames is doing, I, I remember early on we were kind of worried, like, can we keep it up at, at once a week? Do we have enough content, enough stuff to talk about? And what do you think, Matt? Do we have enough content here at Ames for a once a week podcast? I haven't what do you even think? gotten into reruns or, or like having guests return. No. I think we've had like one guest return on back. Um, because like you know Eugene, as you were talking about like the future, we didn't even talk about drones. Yeah. We didn't talk about like you know air traffic management and yeah. you know all of that stuff. So yeah, I've kind of noticed after doing a hundred of these that we're not even close to running out of content. Mm-hmm. We could probably even do more than once a week and still not even come close to running out. Well, maybe you'll have to have us back before the two hundredth. I know exactly. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Well, and then for the folks who are listening for the audio version, as we get prepped and ready to move into a more the, to the the video version of this as we you know and Eugene had tested it out about back in January we did a video version of the podcast where we had guests come in and they showed like different video stuff and we're looking to start that up coming up into the late summer early fall um, so we'll have to Great. get you guys on that one so then they can see your sunshiny faces <laughs> in the brand new studio in the brand new studio yes. we'll look forward to that excellent so for folks who are listening we are at NASA Ames on Facebook and Twitter and all the majors of social media. We are using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. So if you have any questions, comments for Eugene and Carol, you can just send them on over our way and we'll get back to you. But thank you so much for coming, guys. Happy 100th. All right. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. 
You have been listening to the NASA and Silicon Valley podcast. Remember, we are a NASA podcast, but we are not the only NASA podcast. So don't forget to check out our friends at Houston. We have a podcast. There's also Gravity Assist. There's This Week at NASA. And if you're a music fan, don't forget to check out Third Rock Radio. The best way to capture all of this content is to subscribe to our omnibus RSS feed called NASA Casts. Or visit the NASA app on iOS, Android, or anywhere you find your apps. <laughs>